Well, if you have your Bibles, take them out and turn to Galatians chapter 1. I really encourage people to bring their Bibles. If you want to make uh, marks in them, you can do that. If you want to follow along, you've got some uh, notes there for, or pages there for taking sermon notes. I encourage you there. We're starting the book of Galatians. If you'd like a Bible, you don't have one and you want to follow along, just raise your hand and we'll make sure that you get one to follow along this morning. Uh, Galatians chapter 1, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 10. And this is such an amazing book. Um, Martin Luther said it was one of the key books in all of the Bible. Uh, He loved Romans and he loved Galatians because they were talking about grace. They were talking about the fact that we are saved by the grace of God and not by the works that we do. And it's so easy to get caught up in works and legalisms and those kinds of things. If you were raised in a church like mine, you know that there were some fundamental beliefs that you had that you didn't do. And you see, the the amazing thing about being a legalist like I was growing up is that you judge everybody else by your standards. And so as I'd look around, I would say, oh, all those kids at school that may have been good Christians weren't because they were doing things that I didn't. And it becomes very self-centered. Sometimes the libertarian becomes also very self-centered about what he gets and what he shouldn't get and what you can expect of him and shouldn't expect and so as we go through this book of Galatians it is uh, it's an interesting book because it talks about all of those things and talks about our lives in Christ and uh, what God has done for us Uh, I really believe there's an old song I really believe as we get into the scripture and we understand what it says that we have something to live for I, I believe everybody wants something worth living for don't you it doesn't matter whether it's an adult or whether it's a child Men or women, they, they want something that gives value to life, something worth living for. And I remember the song that was sung by, well, the Gaithers, Doug Odom, and a number of different ones, but uh, that, was, that was it. It started out something more than my yesterdays, more than I've had before. God gave me something worth living for. Uh, how many of you remember Doug Odom? Wow, one. Here's a guy. Here's a guy that was elected years ago into the Gospel Music Hall of Fame. He is a man that sung before five presidents. He is an individual who had many, many Christian hits. Uh, he sang with Billy Graham. He sang with a number of other evangelists. Some good, some not so good. I wish sometimes he'd made a few better choices. Uh, but the songs were amazing. His voice was amazing. His father was uh, was a pastor. His name was Dale Odom. And uh, he was well-known, apparently. I didn't know very much about his father, but in the circles where he was, he was well-known. He, he was one that blended music with the ministry more, something more like we would see today, and that's where Dale was, and so the music was important. Doug grew up with that, and Doug became very well-known. I think, I, I forget how old he was when he cut his first record. He wasn't very old. But as he got married and became an adult, he tended to drift away from where God would have him. I I believe that I read he had an addiction to probably prescription-type drugs. He he was abusive to his wife, to his family. Uh, Finally, his wife left him. His his life was a shambles. Here was this man who was singing for the Lord, and, and yet his life had fallen apart. It was a shambles. And he turned his life back to God. He came back to God. It was the grace of God that saved him. 
And this, this song was written, he sung it. It was written, I believe it says, by Dale Oldham and by the music was by Bill Gaither. And maybe you remember it, it says, Life was shattered and hope was gone, crushing the load that I bore. Then out of the depths I cried, Oh God, give me something worth living for. Oh, something more than my yesterdays. More than I had before. Something more than wealth and fame. That's not so important. He'd already had that. And he gave me something worth living for. There with life at its lowest ebb, who could heal and restore? And then he came and mended my broken heart and he gave me something worth living for. Oh, the joy of sins forgiven. There's nothing the same as before. My life overflows since Jesus came and gave me something worth living for. Oh, something more than my yesterdays, more than I had before, something more than wealth and fame. He gave me something worth living for. And as I was looking at this first few verses of Galatians, that thought came to me and I came back and I thought, wow, it's what God does for us through his grace that gives us something worth living for. Nothing else. It's not wealth and fame. It's not all the things that people strive for, but it's what God gives us. It's his grace, his love, his care. And, and so as we begin this passage this morning, I want to go back and I want to read it to you again and then just begin to work through it. Uh, that's why I hope you have your Bibles. We're just going to start working through this great book of the Bible. And you can make little notes alongside of the passages or if you've got something to mark it with, you can mark it, whatever. But I hope as, as we go through this entire book, it'll be good for you. Uh, the first thing we see in terms of, of the, the outline here is that Paul... Uh, who had gone to the churches of Galatia and he'd planted those churches, uh, was now kind of defrocked. They said he wasn't important anymore. He didn't have authority. He didn't have the authority of God. And so if he didn't have the authority of God, what was worth listening? Why listen to Paul anymore? Why, why listen to what he had to say? And so in the first two chapters, we're going to see that Paul defends his right as an apostle. Paul defines his right as an authority. The second, well, chapters 3 and 4 are about doctrine. They're basically theological in terms of the statement. As we come into chapters 5 and 6, we're going to see a very practical application. So stay with the study, get a hold of it, and, and we get back there and find out how this is to be applied to us. And if you want to just go home this week and read verses five and six or chapters 5 and 6, I would encourage you to do that because it really... Uh, sets a tone for what we're going to learn and why we have that. A lot of people, times people say, well, teach me what to do. Say what we're supposed to do. And uh, we've got to understand why first. The why is what gives us the foundation for the what. Uh, I had, had talked last week, and I will mention it again. I didn't mention it in the first service. I, I want to do a series on prophecy, and I'll probably be doing that on Sunday nights. I said last week in the second service I'd probably do it on Wednesdays, but I, I think it's important to go back and say, what, what is God's program? What is he doing, or what has he done, and then what is he going to do in the future? A lot of people get excited about prophecy, and, and almost overly excited. Now, now, God tells us that we should understand these things. We should know these things. He says it in the book of First Thessalonians. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant about the things that are to come. He said it in the book of Revelations. We need to understand what it is. 
but sometimes we become over enamored. I, w- I want to give you kind of a clear picture of what's happening. So if you think you have time and you believe you can come to that study, I, I don't want to do all of that preparation unless there's going to be some people here. So uh, Sunday nights, I, I mentioned it to other people, and they said, I can't come on the weeknights because that's just, I get home too late or I got to go to bed too early. And so we're going to try and do it Sunday nights. But back there in that box, if you would put your name and your phone number and say, I'd be interested in that study on prophecy, please do that. Uh, That'll make that box worthy of something. It's been there for two years, and nobody puts anything in it. So uh, I'm doing this so you can put something in it. But let's get back to Galatians chapter 1. Let me read verses 1 through 10. If you have your Bibles, uh, follow along with me, please. I read this earlier, but it says, Paul, not an apo- or Paul, an apostle, not sent from men or through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all of the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forevermore. Amen. And then Paul goes right into it. You know, in in most of the books that Paul wrote, the letters that he wrote, he would commend the people he was writing to. He says, oh, I'm so happy about what I hear about you. I'm, I'm, I'm excited about your faith, what's going on in the church there. Galatians is the only book that he doesn't do that. In fact, he kind of condemns them. Listen to it. I'm amazed. I'm, I'm dumbstruck that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which really is not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. That's a heavy statement, folks. And then he says it again, as we have said before, so I say again, now if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you have received, he is to be accursed. Verse 10. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If, if I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. Let's pray, shall we? Father, as we come this morning, I, I pray that you just open our hearts and our minds to this great little book. Help us to understand what it's all about because, Father, it is so practically applicable to our age. Help us to understand what you would have for us from this, uh, this study, Father. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said, Paul was probably writing, oh, maybe in the later 40s, 49, 48, 49 uh, A.D., and he was writing to these churches uh, that he had gone to early in his ministry. It was part of his first missionary journey, Antioch of Pisidia, Iconium, Lystra, Derby. And as we read through the book of Acts, you probably, you may remember those uh, those places where Paul went. But basically what he's saying here, and we want to get it today, is that salvation is by the grace of God and the grace of God alone. Nothing added to it. You can't do anything ahead of coming to Jesus Christ that makes you any more justified in God's eyes. You can't do anything 
afterwards that makes you more justified in God's eyes. In fact, back in, uh, in Galatians chapter 3, I believe it was, uh, it makes a, a statement, and it says, the righteous shall live by faith. I, I, the righteous man shall live by faith, there in chapter 3, verse 11. And uh, when we look at this, what the Judaizers were saying, and these were individuals, just so you know who it is, they're, they're Jews who had become Christians. I, I believe they believed that Jesus is the Messiah. I believe they had accepted him by faith. But they came and said, oh, but that's not enough. You see, you really have to become like us. You have to be circumcised. You have to follow the law. You have to have all these rules and regulations if you want to be a true Christian. And they talked about Paul, and they said, Paul doesn't know what he's talking about. Paul's really not an authority. He doesn't have the background. He isn't really one of the 12. And they undermined Paul. And so as Paul heard the message that was coming back to him about the churches of Galatia, he was very concerned. Because, you see, when he had gone there, they had readily accepted what he had to say to them. And, and they had heard the message, and they wanted the message. But all of a sudden, they were so easily drawn away by false teaching. Do people do that today? Sure they do. You can go on TV and you can listen to men that are preaching supposedly the word of God and it's distorted in some way, or women. Uh, most cults are based on that. Uh, they're based on the idea of teaching something that is in opposition to the word of God and saying, if you really want to be saved, this is what you have to do. What was Paul's authority? What right did he have to come and tell them that you only have to have the grace of God? For by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of works. You know, what, what right did Paul have to say that to the Ephesians? What authority did he have? If we were to call a new pastor, someone to add to our staff or to take the place of someone on our staff, do you know what? We would begin to ask what is their authority? What, what right do they have to be called? We would talk about their, if you were looking at their resume, their education. What education does this individual have? Uh, what's his background? Did he go to seminary? Did he go to a Christian college? Does he have any training? What's his experience? Does he have experience in the church? Has he taught? Has he proven himself? Does he have references? You might want to know who you can call. Who are, who's going to say good things about this individual? And who's going to be really honest? And maybe they aren't always good. We would want to know what his denomination was. Maybe his... A group of churches that he had come out of. Is he a Baptist? Is he a Methodist? Is he a Presbyterian? Is he Assembly of God? Is he Calvary Chapel? Is he where, where did he come from? That gives us an idea of who we get. And so I'm sure that's what they were saying about Paul. And they were coming here and they were saying he wasn't an apostle. And so in verse 1, Paul begins to defend himself and his apostleship. And listen to what it says. Paul... And he, and he doesn't go into a great deal of defense. Later on, he's going to talk about his background and where he's come from in the first two chapters and how God called him and how uh, Jesus Christ called him. But it says, Paul, an apostle. And an apostle is one who's sent. He's one who's sent out. And uh, for most of the people in that day, it was the people that were part of the 12. But Paul makes a very important statement here. He says, I'm not sent 
from men. I didn't come from a denominational group. I haven't checked out with a number of other individuals whether I'm qualified or not. He says, I'm not through the agency of man, but I'm through Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. So what's Paul saying? Do you know where my authority comes from? It comes from God. God's the one who sent me. God is the one who made the difference. In fact, if we go down and we look at some of these other passages, or verses, look down in verses 13 to 17. Listen to what Paul says. For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism. I was a Jew. I was a man. I was a go-getter. How I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure, and I tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many other of my contemporaries, among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. I was, I was really seeking to retain the Jewish beliefs. But when God, who had set me apart from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Oh, I didn't immediately go and consult with flesh and blood. I didn't go check out with the other apostles. Nor did I go to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. And basically it says he was out there in the desert for approximately three years. This is, this is where we really learn about the history of Paul when we come back to this passage. If you go to Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 9, we see the call of Paul. Paul was on the road to Damascus. You may remember that. His name was Saul at that time. And he was going there because he'd been persecuting Christians in Jerusalem. And now he says, man, I want to go up there and I want to get some more of those Christians. I want to put them in prison. I want to have them flogged. I want to have them killed. I want to have them wiped out because of what they're doing to Judaism. And on the road to Damascus, there was a bright light and Jesus came to him. And in verse 5, he says, in verse 4, he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul said, who are you, Lord? And he said, well, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and it will be told to you what you must do. And so he went on into the city, and there was a man there by the name of Ananias. And God sent him to Ananias. Jesus sent him to this man who was a a strong believer. And Ananias answered in verse 13. He said, Lord, I, I have heard how many, heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call, who you call on your name. And the Lord said to him, go, Ananias, you go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name among the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. And in verse 16, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. And so we know that Saul's name was changed to Paul. And his focus was changed, totally turned around. Instead of going out to persecute Christians, now he was going out to win people to Jesus Christ. Totally transformed his life. Made him over. It, it gave him a purpose he didn't have before. And I think it goes back to that whole idea of having a purpose worth living for. You see, are you living for Jesus Christ or aren't you living for Jesus Christ? Are you living to do the things God desires or the things that 
you desire. It all, hey, it all comes from what God does. It's, it's what God does in our lives that changes us, that transforms us, that makes us different. And then in verses 3 through 5, he really gives the gospel message, although this is very typical of the introduction Paul often has in his letters. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I can do this because I'm an apostle. I can tell you that because I'm a spokesman for Jesus Christ. If you were to go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says that we are ambassadors for Christ. Do you know what an ambassador is? You all know that, don't you? It's a person that's sent out from a nation or from a president or from a prime minister, and he speaks on behalf of the leadership of that nation. That's really what Paul was saying that he was. He said, Grace to you, I'm an ambassador, I, I, I'm a, an apostle. And he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace, grace. You know, I, I, I looked it up and I wrote it down. I translated it from a, a Greek dictionary. It says, grace is that which affords joy and pleasure and delight and sweetness and charm and loveliness. Grace of speech, it's beautiful. Don't you like the idea of Grace. Someone who's gracious, a gracious person, is a beautiful person or a good person to be around. And then the second definition I wrote down, it's, it's goodwill, it's loving kindness, it's favor. It says it's of the merciful kindness by which God exerted his holy influence upon souls. This is his grace. It turns them to Christ. It draws them into a relationship with him. It keeps, strengthens, and increases them in their Christian faith. It isn't a matter of just justifying us. It helps to sanctify us and become more what God wants us to be. It's not just grace of salvation. It goes beyond that in every aspect of our life. It increases them in the Christian faith, knowledge, affection, and kindles them in the exercise of Christian virtues. We talk about it being unmerited favor. It's something that God gives without any requirement. And that's where our salvation comes from. It's based on grace. Uh, we know that verse in, in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace are you saved through faith. Without grace, there's no salvation. I think a lot of people think they can be saved by being a good person, doing the right things, doing all of the work, going to church, being baptized, taking all the right classes, reading the Bible every morning, praying. But without God's grace, it's meaningless. It doesn't do anything. And Paul started all of his books like this. He says, grace to you. God's grace. I have the right to give you this because I'm an authority from God. I'm an apostle. If you're here today and you know Jesus Christ and he is really truly a relation, you have a relationship with him, it started with God's grace, not with your decision. It's all about what God does for us. And you see, when God comes to us with his grace saying, I want to make available to you eternal salvation. I want to, I want to give you freedom from your sin. I, I, I want you to have an eternal destiny with me in heaven. It's, it's based on his grace and nothing more. For by grace he is saved through faith. Now we either accept it or reject it. It, it. It's there for us to take or not to take. And you have that choice. You can base your salvation on all kinds of things. See this? Ten bucks. 
Two fives. You know whose face is on it? Lincoln's. Wow, you guys don't even... Wow, I'm concerned about you. But you know, this is, this is my $10. And I could ask somebody to drop and do 10 push-ups to earn it. I could ask somebody to come and work in the buildings around, and I'd give them $10. At that point, you earn it, don't you? But you see, that's not grace. That's something we earn. It's, it's not salvation. Now, if I walk over to Daniel, Daniel has a choice. Daniel can either take these $10 and take Chrissy to John's for ice cream later on. <laughs> or John can say, no, I don't want that. Or I'm not going to take it. I wouldn't take your $10. <laughs> so you have a choice, Daniel, of whether you will take... I didn't offer it to you, although I may in a moment. You have a choice. Do you want to take this or don't you? Would you like to have the $10 or not? This is grace. What do you do? Have to ask Chrissy if you can have grace? Would you like it? But see, then you're denying my grace. You're denying my gift. Do you want to know something? That's exactly what people do when they refuse Jesus Christ. It sounds great. It sounds wonderful. But what's it going to cost me? You keep it. I'm not going to take it. And you know, Christ may come to you again and say, would you like to experience my grace and my salvation? And I may come to Daniel a second time and said, you said you would like to have it. Would you like to have it? Is it real? It's real. Will it make a difference in your life? You get ice cream, right? Chrissy gets ice cream, right? Do you think he should take it? Yeah, See, Chrissy thinks you should take it. So, Daniel, would you like my $10? Yeah. No, 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 no. Then it's not grace. You know what? I'm going to tell you something. In terms of our salvation, God never takes it back. It is secure once it's ours. I think we get the idea sometimes we can lose it. If that's true, then it was our works that saved us, not God's grace. And so, Daniel just learned uh, an important lesson of how to get $10. (laughs) You never never turn me down in my illustrations. Grace is the free gift, unmerited favor given by God. And we need to understand that salvation is based on the grace of God, not what we do. And then he goes on in peace. Do you know what? You'll never have peace until you have grace. Peace, it it comes from a Greek word, arene, but it it also comes from uh, the Hebrew word shalom. Uh, Charis is more a Greek word, and shalom would be a Hebrew word, and so he was giving them an introduction that was both Greek and Hebrew. But when you look at that, you realize that peace is what we have. It's lasting. It's permanent. It's a relationship we have. I looked it up in that same Greek dictionary. It says, of Christianity, it's a tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ. I can't lose it. It's sure. I don't have to worry about tomorrow that I'm going to mess up. And so fearing nothing from God and content with its earthly lot, 
whatever sort that is. I'm satisfied with what God does for me. You know, it, it, in terms of peace, we have peace with God. Romans chapter 5, verse 1, it makes a statement. It says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. I, I'm no longer at war. I no longer have a division and divisiveness between me and God. And not only do I have peace with God, but I experience the peace of God. You go back to Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, and it says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving let your request be made known unto God. And what does it say? The peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so it's through grace that we experience peace and the peace is lasting and we have the peace with God and we have the peace of God. Jesus made a statement to his disciples when he was uh, speaking to them and, and he said, it's my peace I live with you, my peace I give to you, not the peace of the world because the peace of the world is temporal and it doesn't last. God gives us peace. Jesus is... The basis for that. Jesus Christ came to be that sacrifice. We go back to our book passage again in Galatians. <clears throat> and it's speaking of Jesus in verse 4. And it says, He gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us. This is a rescue mission Jesus went on. He said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. It's a rescue mission that he came on <clears throat> to save us from this present evil age. And he gave himself. It was a sacrifice. Some people would say that Jesus lost his life on the cross. Have you ever heard comments like that? Oh, Jesus lost his life. No, he didn't. Do you have my drink there? Uh, excuse me. I want you to know that this is unsweetened iced tea. That's all that's in here. <clears throat> he gave his life as a sacrifice. Because you see, you and I couldn't do it. We're not good enough. Sacrifice had to be perfect. And so Jesus went to the cross on our behalf. I, I read the story of a veteran probably out of World War I, and he went down the street where he lived, and he had uh, just a sleeve hanging there. His arm was gone from the war, and somebody came and said, Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry you lost your arm in the war. And he looked at them, and he smiled, and he said, I didn't lose it. He said, I gave it. It was a sacrifice. That's what Jesus did for us. When he went to the cross, he didn't lose his life on the cross. He freely gave it, and so we can have eternal life as a result of that. The Bible says that in this sinful world, we were lost in our sins. You go back to Romans chapter 3, and it's a great passage concerning that. But in Romans chapter 3, verse 10 and 11, it says, As it is written, there is none righteous. There's not even one. There's none who understands. There's none who seeks after God or for God. I think a lot of times we've been... We've been brought to believe that basically we're good people. You know, God got to be pretty lucky to have us. In America, we're good people. Don't you hear that about individuals? They're good people. 
There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. They really don't have a desire in and of themselves. If God doesn't come and draw us in, we're not there. In verse 23, it says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That certainly includes me. If we go over to Romans chapter 6, verse 23, it says, The wages of sin is death. It's separation from God. It's eternal separation. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We accept it by faith. It's his grace. It's his free gift that he gives to us. So then Paul goes on in the next few verses because there was a problem in Galatia. They had missed out on this. He taught them that, and that's what they had believed to begin with, but verse 6 The message was perverted by these people that came in and distorted it with their own teaching. He says, I'm amazed. I I guess we could say, he says, I'm dumbfounded. I can't understand it. These Jews so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. If you look at different there, you know, uh, a different gospel, we might say, well, it was just another kind of gospel. Really, the gospel, it was just a different kind. But what that word there, heteros, different means is it's totally different. It's not really a gospel at all. It's not good news. That's what the gospel means. And this is not good booze. And it's different as a result. It's faulty. It won't save you. It won't meet the needs of your life. He says, you've deserted God. Desertion, uh, maybe you know that term. It's It's a military term is for a person that, when he's supposed to be in the army, turns and goes the other way. I remember when I was in basic training, there was one guy there, and he was there one night, and the next morning he wasn't there anymore. (laughs) He just took off. And that's what we're talking. They brought him back, by the way. But that's what it was with the Galatians. They knew the gospel that Jesus Christ saved them by his grace. They didn't have to keep the law. They didn't have to follow a bunch of rules and regulations to be acceptable to God. And yet somebody came in and said, it doesn't work. What was their gospel? These people that came in and confused them. Well, it's this. If you really want to be saved... Number two, there's faith, but there's also circumcision, keeping the law. I think there's over 600 laws in the Old Testament. It's impossible for anybody to keep it. In fact, that's what the law told us was that we couldn't keep it. We couldn't do it. And we needed Jesus, and we needed grace. But they say that's not enough. You need something more than that. I've talked to people over the years, and... Uh, some of you have heard me ask this question of you. If you were to die today and God opened the door to heaven, why should he let you in? And I've gotten a number of different answers. There's really three answers that you can get. The first one, I've been a good person. I've kind of got it together. You know, I'm not a bad person. I don't do things bad. I take care of my wife. I take care of my kids or I... As a wife, I'm home with my husband, and we have a great relationship, and uh, we're not going to tell you about all the other things. But, you know, 
I'm a good person. And I go to work and I earn a living and, and I do the things I'm supposed to do. I'm a good person. And you know what that person believes? They, they kind of put their life on a balanced scale. And, and you'd say over here, well, here's my bad things. Here's the, the <laughs> things I think about, the thoughts that shouldn't be there, the actions I shouldn't take, the way I've treated people, the way I've talked to people, <laughs> the dishonesty. Well, those are over here. And here's the good things. And what I think is that in this balanced scale, oh, it kind of evens out. And you know, when I get up there, God's going to see that my good things outweighed my bad things, and I'm going to make it. That's salvation based on works. You know that? That's, that's the idea that my works are better than my failures. I'm a good person. And you go out in the neighborhoods today, and I'll bet you'll find most of the people here that would tell you they're good people. Because they believe that. But the problem is, you see, the standard isn't my works the standard's Jesus Christ, and he's perfect. And so if we think we're going to get into heaven by being a good person, uh, we may bring it up to here or up to here, but we'll never get it up to here. It's kind of like kids on a teeter-totter. And maybe you've, you've got this, let's say, this, this perfect little kid. He doesn't weigh anything. You've got this little guy down here, and he's weighed down, and we'll just call it with his sin. And it never balances out. You see, a lot of people believe that. That's really what the Judaizers believed, was that you're saved by your works in a way. Second way that you're saved, let me give you the second one that people will tell you. They will tell you you're saved by the grace of God. It's not what we do, it's what God does. And man, we accept that, and that is wonderful, because that's what Paul's teaching here. We're saved by grace and grace alone, putting our faith in what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross, receiving his forgiveness, accepting the fact that we're sinners and we can't do it on our own, and God saves us. And that's what Paul taught him. And you see, even though Jesus would be here and we'd be down here because Jesus died for our sins and he paid the penalty for our sins, we're lifted up to be successful and to be acceptable before God. Not because of what we've done, but only because of what God did for us. But there's a third. One is by works. The other is by grace. There's a third way that people might say that you're saved. I accept the grace of God. But you know what? I was saved by grace, justified but I'm sanctified by what I do. And if I'm not good enough, I may lose God's grace. I could lose my salvation. And I'll tell you what, if that was the case, I believe in, in John 10 it says we're kept in the very palm of the Father's hand. And it says nobody can snatch us out of the Father's hand. That we're secure there. If I believed that I could lose my salvation, I would be living in turmoil continuously. Have I made it today or haven't I? And you know what? A lot of days I'd have to say I didn't make it. A lot of days I'd have to accept the fact that I wasn't good enough. Do you know what the Bible says? It, it, 
it's, it's clear to me that God saves us by his grace and he keeps us by his grace and it's not what I do. But in Hebrews chapter 6, there are some warning passages or Hebrews. And this is why I would really be frightened. It's, it's if this could happen. It's, a, it's a, a potential thing. It's not that it is there. It's not that it's a reality, but there's a potential here and in Hebrews chapter 5 or 6, beginning in 4 through 6, it says, For in the case of those who have once been enlightened, in other words, there's a possibility that they once got it together and understood it, and they've tasted of a heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit. It, it seems like they have it all, and they've tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then they've fallen away. It's impossible to renew them again to repentance. You can't come a second time. Christ died for your sins once and for all. He forgave you of your sins, past, present, and future. And to go back and and reject that is basically to say his death wasn't sufficient. But it says we can't come back again. We're held secure in the hand of God. And the Galatians needed to understand that. They needed to understand that relationship. He says, I'm amazed, I'm perplexed, I'm overwhelmed that you are so quickly deserting, turning from him who called you. That's God by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. Which he says, really not another one. Only there are some who are disturbing you. They are confusing you. They are causing you to struggle with this. You've lost your peace. And they want to distort. The word distort means to change complete. They they want to distort the gospel of Christ. People would tell you today that in order to be saved, you have to do certain things. You have to be baptized. You have to take communion. You have to be in church so often. You have to complete this class or that class. You have to have gone through one experience or another. Oh, yeah, you have to be saved by grace. But it's the other things, too. And what Paul is saying is that's not true. It's what Jesus Christ did for us. Verse 8, and even if we or an angel from heaven, this is how important Paul thinks this issue of grace is, if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you, proclaim to you a gospel, a good news contrary, the opposite to what we have preached to you, he is, says, accursed. And anathema, it means damned. And then he said it again. I want you to get this. As we have said it before, so I say again. Now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you've received, he is accursed. And in verse 10, for am I now seeking the favor of men or of God, or am I striving to please men? If I were trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. I think that's one of the hardest things for pastors. I'm going to tell you right now, because you go through and you put a sermon together and you begin to think, wow, is that going to step on somebody's toes? How are people going to feel about that? Are they all going to go along with this, or aren't they? And we worry about what men think instead of what God thinks. Do you know what the Bible says? It says you don't worry about what others think. It isn't that you destroy the unity or your relationship with somebody but you've got to be true to the scripture a pastor has an authority Paul had an authority his authority came from Jesus Christ you know a pastor's authority today or any teacher in the church is this 
It's not my feelings. It's not my emotions. It's not my experiences. It's the word of God. If they don't jive with the word of God, if they don't go along with what the word of God says, then that's not my authority anymore. Always frightens me when, you know, and, and I think the Holy Spirit can move us in directions and he can lead us and he can guide us. But it always frightens me when I hear someone say, and God told me. He may have. I'm not going to say he didn't, but I think a lot of times if it does not agree with Scripture, then it's not something you grab a hold of. I've heard people tell me that God told me to leave their spouse. I've read here and it said, no, it didn't. You see, that's where the authority is. It's always got to be there. Paul says, I'm an apostle. I believe pastors are called and, and they're sent out to do the work that God has for them, but the source of authority they have is right here. Nothing more, nothing less. I want to read a story for you in closing. And I think it, it sets a tone. It goes along with what we've had comes from probably about the 1800s. It says, it's a story of a well-known English minister. Now with the Lord, how years ago on a night when he was just ready to go to bed, there was a knock at the door. And when he went downstairs, he found the, at the door a poor, wretched little girl dripping wet. And she'd come through the storm and she said, are, are you the minister? <laughs> he said, yes, I am. <laughs> He was at that time one who had turned away from the simplicity of the gospel. He was adding all kinds of other things. It's easy to do when you're in churches to begin to add other things into the gospel. He says, and she said, well, won't you come and get my mother in? The minister said, well, I was about to go to bed. And, and besides, I can hardly, it is hardly seemingly for me to go out and get your mother in. If she's drunk, you can, you can get a policeman to get her in. He has his raincoat and is prepared for the storm. Oh, she said, you don't understand. My mother's not out in a storm, and she's not drunk. She's at home, and she's dying, and she's afraid to die. She's afraid that she's going to be lost forever, and, and she wants to go to heaven and, and doesn't know how. And I told her I'd go get a minister to get her in. He asked where she lived, and she told him if the district so vile that even the daytime respectable people did not go there without a policeman accompanying them. Why? He said, I, I cannot go down there tonight. And subconsciously, he said, it would be all my reputation is worth to be seen with a girl like this in that district in the middle of the night. No, 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 I cannot go. As the preacher of this great, important church, what would my people think if I should get into the paper? What would you think about me? To the girl, he said, I, I will tell you what to do. You go down to get the man who is running the rescue mission. He will be glad to help you. He said he felt ashamed as he said it, but he thought his reputation had to be maintained. He may be a good man, she said, but I don't know him. I told my mother I'd get a real minister, and I want you to come and get her, get her in. Come, quickly, she's dying. I couldn't stand the challenge of those eyes. The preacher said, I felt so ashamed. 
So said to her, very well, I'll, I'll come. And he went upstairs and dressed and put on his raincoat. Then the girl led him down through the city into the slum district and into an old house, up a rickety stairway, along a long, dark hall, into a little room, and there lay the poor woman. I've gotten the preacher of the biggest church in the city, said the girl. He will get you in. He didn't want to come, but he's here. You tell him what you want and do just what he tells you to do. The woman looked up and said, Oh, sir, can you do anything for a poor sinner? All my life I've been a wicked, wicked woman. I, I'm going to hell, but I don't want to go there. I want to be saved. I, I want to go to heaven. Tell me what I can do. Pastor said, reclining, or, and the pastor said, relating the incident in a large meeting, I stood there looking down at that poor, anxious face and thought, whatever will I tell her? I had been preaching in my own church on salvation by character, being good, by ethical culture and reformation, and I thought, I can't tell her about salvation by character. She hasn't any. I can't tell her about salvation by ethical culture, for there's no time for culture. And besides, she's most likely wouldn't know what it meant anyway. I can't tell her about salvation by reformation, for she's gone too far to reform. And then it came to me, why not tell her what my mother used to tell me? She's dying. It can't hurt, even though she does, it does her no good. And so I said, my poor woman, God is very gracious. And the Bible says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And she said, does it say that in the Bible? My, this ought to help me get in. But sir, sir, my sins, what about my sins? <laughs> It was amazing how easy the verses came to me. Verses I had learned years ago and never used. And I said, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. All sin, she said. Does it really say that, that the blood will cleanse me from all sin? That ought to get me in. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all exception. Said the, that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the chief. Well, she said, if the chief got in, I can come. Pray for me. And I knelt down, and I prayed for that poor woman, and I got her in. And while I was getting her in, I got myself in. Two poor sinners, the minister and a prostitute, were saved together in that little room. Are you in this morning? Are you really in? You see, it's not about culture. It's not about good works. I talked to a woman recently. She wasn't going to church anymore because her husband was an agnostic and didn't go to church. But she wanted him to go and it would be so good and she had her church and she could go back there and she wanted him to believe and be part, and I said, yeah, he really needs to. It's important to have that personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and she said, oh, no, not that. 
just said he needs to believe in God and go to church and have the fellowship and the relationship and do the good works that we do there and the positive things. And that's what I want for him. You see, she missed the point. She missed what Paul was saying. That it's about God's grace and not our works. It's not about the church you go to. It's not about the name on the door. It's not about who your pastor is or isn't. It's all about what Jesus Christ did for us at the cross and receiving it by faith and his grace and grace alone. And we can add nothing to it. Three ways that people say you may be saved. None would be, one would be by works. Doesn't work. Number two would be by grace. It does work. Number three is grace plus works. Guess what? It's no better than the first. Because it's only what Jesus did. And that's what Paul taught the book Galatians. And that's what we're going to see in the next number of weeks as we go through the book of Galatians. What Jesus Christ did for us. And how we by faith receive him. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Maybe you're here this morning and uh, you're not sure that you have that salvation that's by grace and grace alone. You've, you've based it on being a good person or going to the right church or you were baptized or confirmed or whatever. But you've never truly said, Lord, I know I'm a sinner and I need you to come into my heart and I need your forgiveness Grace and grace alone. That's what saves. And you'd say that today. I need that. Just, if, you know, if you're here this morning and you've never by faith received Jesus Christ, you've never by faith truly admitted your need for him, I'm just going to ask you, raise your hand so I can be praying for you. Maybe we can get together later. Anybody here? Okay. Let me pray. Father, we come before you this morning. And I pray, Father, that as we do this study on Galatians, we would truly understand the meaning of grace. Not works. It was for freedom that Jesus set us free. We are not to return to the bondage of those things that hold us. But, Father, in our freedom, we are also not to continue sinning, it says in that fifth chapter. So help us to understand your grace and what you've done for us and to to experience your peace in our lives, Father. Peace that we can't have otherwise. Peace that goes beyond the comprehension of man. That's what it says. Thank you, Father, for loving us. There's an old song, just keep your heads bowed. It says, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Thank you, Father. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. If, uh